earliest church, we're told in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And we've been using this verse over the past few weeks as a touchstone, if you will, as we've continued to press in on our sermon series called Phaseology, our sermon series about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church and in the life of a believer. Now, over the past few weeks, as we've looked into this particular passage, we've begun to define the church or a church as God's people gathered in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And we've seen that a church is committed to faith and life held in common. That's fellowship, life together. We've seen that a church, God's people gathered together in Jesus through the Holy Spirit, is committed, devoted to all of Scriptures, the apostles' teaching. We've seen over the past few weeks that a church gathered in this way is committed, devoted to worshiping God through word, through prayer, through sacrament, through song. And this morning, as we turn our attention to what St. Luke calls the breaking of the bread, we see that God's people gathered in Jesus through the Holy Spirit are called to the Lord's table. St. Luke uses this phrase, the breaking of bread. That's how he refers to what we call the Lord's Supper or what we call communion or what we call the Eucharist, which really just means the great thanksgiving. As we turn to look at the Lord's Supper in particular, it's helpful for us to, to think about something that may a little, be a little bit abstract, and that is a sacrament. How many of us in here have heard the word sacrament before? How many of us in here know what sacrament means? Oh, good, you're better than me. Fantastic. <laughs> a sacrament really is simply a physical, visible thing that God uses to give us an invisible and spiritual grace. Right? So we think about the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. What's the thing that he uses? The physical and visible thing that he uses, bread and wine. He gives us grace to the bread and wine. Think about the sacrament of baptism. Water is that physical and visible thing through which he gives us grace. As we think about a sacrament, let's think about this very generally speaking. There are, in our Anglican tradition, two gospel sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And in our Anglican 39 Articles of Religion, these sacraments are referred to as badges and tokens of Christian profession, Christian faith. This means that these two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are to be found first within the context of faith. The reception of them serve as a sort of external evidence or witness or testimony in which our faith in Jesus is declared to ourselves, is declared to those around us, is declared to the world at large. Being immersed into the water or having the water poured upon us, receiving the bread, sipping from the cup, these things are badges that declare who we are in Christ. If you think about it perhaps this way, maybe this is helpful. My father is a, a child of the 50s and 60s, so he grew up watching Gunsmoke, right? Anybody in here watch Gunsmoke? Yes. Yes, all right, great job, everybody. Gunsmoke. Marshal Matt Dillon, right? How did you know that he was the marshal? If you went to Dodge City, 
If you went to the real Dodge City, by the way, there ain't no mountains there. <laughs> but if you went to Dodge City in Gunsmoke, how would you know that Matt Dillon was the marshal? He wore a badge, right? So in this way, the Lord's Supper, it's a badge. We wear it proudly as we receive it. And it isn't just in this room that we wear that badge. It's actually out in the world. Having taken of the Lord's Supper, we take it with us, so to speak, having been recipients of the sacrament. This 25th article uh, also refers to the sacraments as effectual signs of God's favor towards us, which I understand to mean that the physical things of the sacrament, the bread and the wine and the water, they're used by God to bring about His work in us. The, the, The sacraments are never about what we're doing. They are always about what God is doing, as He is the chief actor in the sacrament. And so these things are effectual. That is to say that through the reception of them, God works invisibly in those who receive them in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we say then that sacraments are means of grace because God uses them to create or quicken faith, to strengthen faith, to confirm faith, in Jesus through the Spirit. You can't really be sacramental in theology without being at some level charismatic in theology. Foundational to this theological perspective about the sacrament is this belief that the God of creation uses ordinary things of His creation to work for the good of those who believe in Him and for His glory. He uses the stuff of his creation. He uses bread and wine and water along with the word that he reveals to give to himself to his people, to bless them with knowing him, and in the knowing of him, transformation into the image of his son through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's because of what the sacraments are that the church or a church is defined as a congregation of faithful men in which the pure word of God is preached and the sacraments be duly ministered according to Christ's ordinance. And so when we talk about the Lord's Supper this morning, we're talking about God using these visible and physical things, bread and wine, to be at work in us by His grace for our good, for His glory. It's a badge that we wear to show to the world and to ourselves and to one another that we are believers in Christ and incorporated into His body. And so we'll see Jesus, as we look at the Lord's Supper from the Gospel according to St. Luke, we'll see Jesus and the past of the Passover. We'll see Jesus and His presence in the present. And we'll see Jesus and His anticipation of the future. And then, of course, as we always try to do, we'll attempt to draw some practical application from these points as we consider this one big idea. God's people gathered in Jesus through the Holy Spirit are called to the Lord's table. As we read St. Luke's account of Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper, we cannot help but notice the context in which it occurs. Every gospel account provides a narrative for this supper and places it within the context of the Jewish celebration of Passover. And the Passover, by the time of Jesus in the first century, was a thousand-year tradition in the life of Israel. This celebration of God's great act of deliverance of the Exodus was established when God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. As that second book of the Bible, Exodus, begins, 
the descendants of God's chosen man, Abraham, they were desperately in need of an external source of salvation. They were under oppression, and they could not save themselves. So they needed someone to come and rescue them. God selected, God sent a man named Moses to be his agent of deliverance, to speak on God's behalf, to proclaim God's greatness and his intention to deliver Israel from the hand of Pharaoh. And in this deliverance, God would prove to Pharaoh, God would prove to Egypt, God would prove to Israel that he, God alone, was uniquely God in being, in power, in reality. In a series of power encounters, what we call the plagues, followed God's demand through Moses to let my people go. And these power encounters, these plagues, culminated in the 10th plague. And with the 10th plague came the institution of the Passover. We heard Nancy read for us this morning from Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to offer a little bit of a paraphrase. God said to Moses, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pass through Egypt on a specific night, and I'm going to execute my judgment upon both man and animal on the gods of Egypt. But I'm going to protect the people of Israel through the blood of a lamb. Take this spotless lamb, kill it at your doorstep, spread the blood around the door. Prepare for yourselves a meal. Eat that meal. Get ready to go, but remain under the blood of the lamb. God says this, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so the blood of the lamb in Exodus chapter 12 proactively served as God's protection from God's judgment and wrath upon sin and false gods and the oppression of Egypt. And this is exactly what happened when later in Exodus 12, the Lord struck down all the firstborn of man and animal in Egypt. Now, what's that got to do with Jesus? I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> the Passover instituted in Exodus 12 and established as a feast to be celebrated every year through the generations points toward the greater lamb, the greater exodus, the greater redemption to come. And so the Passover is rightly understood in light of Jesus as a signpost toward Jesus. Here again from Luke chapter 22. Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. All of that occurs within the context of the celebration of Passover. And this being the case then, Jesus is doing something that would have been shocking to his disciples and to the first century Judaism of his day. Jesus alters the liturgy of a thousand-year-old tradition. Jesus replaces the lamb as the focal point with the bread. And Jesus claims to be fulfillment of all that the Passover was and pointed toward. He took bread. He broke it. He passed it about for his disciples to eat. And according to Seal and Moshe Rosen, this was a very unusual act, for after supper, no other food was to be eaten. But Jesus gives bread. The Rosen say Jesus here instituted a new memorial. He identified himself as the means of redemption. He identified himself as the sacrifice given for deliverance. He did so in and with the bread at a point in the service where it was unexpected. He did this because he desired, maybe because he needed to teach his disciples 
that he was the true Passover lamb and that the cute, woolly, and delicious creature with four legs no longer had significance. That the, its purpose had been fulfilled as the true lamb of God, the really real thing to which the little lamb had always pointed, was now present as Jesus reclined at table. Then there was the wine. Within the liturgy of the Passover meal, there would have been four ritual cups of wine, each with its own blessing and each with its own symbolic meaning. Luke mentions two of them, what is most likely the first and the third cups within the Passover liturgy. After he broke the bread, Luke tells us, Jesus took what many believe to have been the third cup, the so-called cup of redemption, and he proclaims that it is his blood under which they are delivered. The purpose of the Lamb was now fulfilled as the Lamb of God with the greater redemption and the greater sacrifice had come, and with it the long-promised, long-awaited new covenant with the God of Israel. As author Daryl Bach notes, this new covenant is inaugurated in his blood, that is, by his death. Jesus' death is in in an offering that brings a new era and the Spirit of God. And so the the blood of a lamb, a lamb, is not what delivers in this new era. Rather, it is the blood of the lamb that protects all who believe from the judgment of God. The blood of the lamb offers true and lasting salvation, a better sacrifice, as the author of Hebrews will argue. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that Passover pointed to. He is the Lamb of God whose body is given as sacrifice and whose blood is poured out that all who believe receive protection and deliverance from God's righteous judgment upon sin and evil. And in the Last Supper, Jesus instituted the practice, the celebration of the real Passover, the better meal. And so, God's people gathered in Jesus through the Holy Spirit are called to the Lord's table. We celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist. We do this weekly. And we do so because Jesus gave the Lord's Supper as something to be done. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper is a means of grace. Through the bread and the wine, God is at work to bring us into union with Christ. And in this, Christ is present as the Holy Spirit is at work. I recommend to you a book from Andrew Wilson. His book is called Spirit and Sacrament. It's listed in the bulletin for you. And in that book, he says the sacraments are God-given ways of sharing in Christ, experiencing the work of the Spirit, drawing close to the Father, and enacting the gospel. As we share in the Lord's Supper, we are in the presence of Christ. He is present to us in the present. The bread and the wine are the sign, the symbol of Christ's body and blood. But like all signs and symbols, they are not the thing signified. And so the bread and the wine do not become the body and blood of Jesus, not in a physical manner, but in a spiritual manner to those who receive by faith. We're going to pray a little bit later over the bread and the wine. Sanctify them by your word and Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And we will pray, sanctify us also, that we may what? Receive Christ, come into union with Christ, that he may be present to us in our present. So this is a holy mystery. God gives the grace of union in Christ 
under his blood and in his body through the sacrament signified by the reception of bread and wine. Because God in Jesus is present to us. In this celebration, Christ is present. Christ is, as St. Clair Ferguson puts it, known through the elements by the Spirit. He's known by the ministry of the Spirit, present in the supper, not in the bread and the wine, but by the power of the Spirit. What is an absolutely amazing truth? That by the work of the Holy Spirit, we are brought into and we receive the very spiritual presence of Christ by grace, through faith, through bread and wine. Jesus is no less present today than he was back on that night of the Passover with the disciples. His presence may be different in that it's not necessarily physical, but he's present nonetheless. And in this, we remember. Remembering is something that is good for us as humans, but remembering is not, and true remembering has never been simply an intellectual exercise of memorializing something. The truest sense of remembering is all about bringing the events of the past into the present. And we do this with a meal. Think about, perhaps, uh, an illustration might help. When Anna and I got married, we had a wedding cake, but we kept the topper. And we kept the topper in the freezer for almost a year. The day before our wedding anniversary, our first year wedding anniversary, we took the topper out to let it thaw because I was not about to break a molar. (laughs) But what did we do? On the day of our wedding anniversary, we shared a piece of cake together. We remembered. We brought that past event into our present, our lives having been changed by it. Perhaps some of you have done something similar. Now think again about Jesus' context of Passover. In its celebration of the Passover, Israel brought that single historical one-time event into its present, even for those who were not alive when the event occurred, even for those who were not alive when those first lambs were slaughtered and the blood was smeared, for those who were not alive when the cries of horror and death rang through the darkened streets of Egypt as God's judgment and wrath fell. Even for those who were not alive when the thrilling cry of go was heard, even those of succeeding generations have the Passover and the great deliverance of the Exodus as part of their story in their present as they remember, as they enact, as they belong. This remembering is so vivid, it's almost as if the event is happening again. And Christ becomes present to us as we remember, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, not repeating the event. This is not a bloodless sacrifice, but it's a remembering in which what is celebrated and remembered is brought into our very present through God's, through Christ's presence. We become a part of it. It becomes a part of us. We receive the grace of God in the name of Jesus through the Spirit in this bread and this wine. We receive his body broken for us and his blood poured out. And so God's people, gathered in Jesus through the Holy Spirit, are called to the Lord's table. We come to the table, we receive the sacrament of Christ's fulfillment. He's present to us through the Spirit in our remembrance, and we look forward with eager anticipation for a greater, more epic feast to come. Here again from Luke chapter 22. At verse 16, Jesus says, I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And again at verse 18, 
For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Passover pointed toward the Lord's Supper, which becomes, I'm sorry, Passover pointed towards the Last Supper, which becomes the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper points forward to an epic feast when Christ returns. Jesus, with his 12 disciples in Luke 22, proclaims fulfillment of the Passover in his broken body. He's poured out blood of the new covenant. And at the same time, he says to them, you ain't seen nothing yet. Something better is coming. The greater thing to come is the kingdom with Jesus' return and final consummation. And there, the greatness and totality of Jesus' sacrifice will be realized. And there will be an epic celebration, what Revelation 19.9 calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so it is. The Lord's Supper is a timeless and eternal sacrament. It is a proclamation of who Jesus is, a proclamation of who we are, all for the glory for which we are bound. Author Peter Lighthart reflects on this. The Eucharist is now, is the now of the feast of the end of the age, a foretaste of the future celebration. It is a real anticipation of that future feast a microcosm of the way things really ought to be. So it is, the people of God, God's people gathered in Jesus through the Holy Spirit are called to the Lord's table. We come to the table, we receive the sacrament of Christ's fulfillment. He is present to us through the Spirit in our remembrance, and we look forward with eager anticipation to a greater feast to come. But so what? What difference does it really make? I'd like to point out a couple of differences for you by way of practical application. Really, what I'm going to tell you is, if you are in Jesus, if you've been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, come and receive the sacrament on a regular basis. First, it's a matter of obedience. Jesus gave a command. He said, do this. There are only two sacraments in our Anglican tradition because there are only two things in uh, sacrament of a sacramental nature that, that Jesus said, do it. First is the Lord's Supper. The second is baptism. We call these gospel sacraments because Jesus himself instituted the practice, and we call them gospel sacraments because in them the gospel is proclaimed. And by the gospel, I mean the good news of what God has done on our behalf to reconcile sinful men and women, sinful creation, to himself through the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so it's a matter of obedience to our Lord to come and do this. And while sometimes obedience drives us in our discipline, we do well to recognize that celebrating the Lord's Supper is for our good and for God's glory. It is for our good because celebrating and receiving the Lord's Supper draws us together and into God's story as we remember. It's called communion after all. And so we come together as a local congregation of Christ, of faithful men and women, where the word of God is preached and the sacraments are rightly ministered. We come to this table not as individuals alone, but as members of a body, of the body of Christ. We remember together. We reenact together. We receive grace together. We declare to one another and to the world, we declare that we are a unity of diversity in the broken body of Christ in the blood of his new covenant. We wear this as a badge. We come and we receive this sacrament as a political act, not some sort of partisan politics of 2019 America, but rather as a cosmic political act. We declare that Jesus is Lord and that we are his people, and we wear this sacrament as a badge. 
And then in all of this, it forms us. There's something formational about the Lord's Supper as the Holy Spirit works. You cannot be in disunion with someone with whom you share bread and wine. We celebrate and we receive the Lord's Supper. We are brought into a better story. We're brought into God's story, the true story of the world. As we remember together, as we celebrate and remember, all of Scripture becomes our story. Creation is our creation. Abraham is our father. The Exodus is for our people. Jesus breaks the bread. With us, we are called to trust in Christ, to believe the gospel, to receive the Holy Spirit as we receive the bread and the wine. And we are brought into a story that directly contradicts the stories of secularism that we are told every day. We're brought into the cosmically true story, the true story that ends with the really great news, the second advent of Jesus. That's what the season of Advent is really about, by the way, is preparing ourselves for the second coming of Christ. We remember the historical coming, which ends in crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, and we look forward to a second coming, and we prepare all along the way. The practice of the Lord's Supper is an Advent preparation. And finally, we come and we receive grace from God. As we come and we celebrate this Lord's Supper, we remember that it is an effectual means. It is something through which God works to strengthen faith. And so faith that is struggling, as we receive bread and wine, it is encouraged. Faith that is weakened or weakening as we sip from the cup is bolstered, is lifted up. Faith that has grown apathetic as we chew the bread is stirred up and recreated. All as the Holy Spirit is at work through these means of grace, bringing us into greater union with Christ, transforming us into His image. And so God's people, gathered in Jesus through the Holy Spirit, are called to the Lord's table. So come to the table this morning. Come under the blood of of the Lamb. Come into His presence through the bread and the wine. Come and receive the work the Holy Spirit has to do. Come and worship our triune God for His great acts of redemption. Come and receive the grace He has to give. If you've been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, come to the table and receive. I've said this to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Holy and gracious God, we pray through song, we pray that you would be glorified. As we turn to the breaking of the bread and the pouring out of wine, we pray that you would be at work through these physical and visible signs. Bring us closer into union with Christ. Transform us more and more into his image. Encourage us, heal us, restore us, lead us into repentance, confession, and renewal. And do this, Lord, for our good but ultimately do it for your glory, that we would be your badge in this world. Come and be glorified in us, through us, and by us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.